The Pat Kenny Show with Matter Private Network on News Talk. With antisocial behaviour uh, making joining the Gardaí a less attractive option, lucrative salaries drawing our doctors and nurses to the likes of North America, Australia and beyond, we wanted to ask what is the future for our frontline workers? Will we simply not have the personnel to fulfil the duties that are required to keep the state running in years to come? Well, I'm joined on the line by sociologist at Trinity College in Dublin, Dr Evelyn Mahan, by columnist for the Sunday Independent, David Quinn, and former CEO of Bernardo's and Irish Examiner columnist, Fergus Finley. Good morning and welcome, one and all. Uh, David, uh, what say you to this? It is a crisis. Uh, we have enough doctors on the production line, enough nurses on the production line, uh, enough teachers on the production line. That doesn't mean that they get delivered to where they're needed in this economy. No, I mean, I suppose there's a few things going on. Um, those sort of vocational sort of jobs, um, police, nursing, doctors, um, and so on, um, have much more competition now in the workplace than they used to have. Um, so I think that's definitely part of it. Um, that if you're somebody who gets your 600 points in the Leaving Cert, uh, you know, you might not want to be a doctor anymore because there's so many more options uh, for very bright people than there used to be. Um, I think those jobs as well are becoming more and more demanding. I mean, my own wife is a nurse and I can see that the demands on medical staff are just rising all the time. So this is leading to more burnout and is leading to more um, early retirements and resignations and so on. And then, of course, there's more competition from overseas. So, so the Australians say, well, we need nurses and doctors as well. And Ireland is well-trained. Nurses and doctors are going to come in and fish some of them out. Mm. And but then, does the Brisbane Echo want David to go over and write for them while your wife makes a packet in a lovely nursing environment in Brisbane? Um, no, they don't. <laughs> that kind of makes us a bit more immobile. Um, um, I mean, her job, you know, Good she night. is... A st- Good night, David. They never, you never know. Um, uh, the Courier Mail is the Brisbane one. I lived there mm. for five years. Um, and then we're left in the position in Ireland of um, looking to developing countries uh, for our doctors and nurses, which isn't necessarily the most ethical thing in the world. In fact, I saw some medical organisation in Britain some time back saying, you know, we shouldn't really be taking doctors and nurses away from developing countries where doctors and nurses are already scarce. And in fact, I remember reading a piece some time back, Romania is losing an awful lot of its doctors and nurses and there's whole parts of Romania that basically have nobody around at all to look after the care of their people. And then we have an ageing population which is going to put even more demands on them. Okay, um, Fergus, Well, the, the, the shortages are real. They are real and there is no short, quick fix. I'm not sure that I'd agree with your starting position, Pat, about... We have, we have enough in the pipeline. Um, to my understanding, we have six medical schools in Ireland. We should have 12. We train 100 speech and language therapists a year in Ireland. We should be training 300. Um, we, ha- we, we stopped doing an awful lot of these things. Now, there are, there are legacy issues around a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, doctors at one point really liked the idea of a closed shop in the profession, make it hard to get into, same with lawyers, uh, etc. So we haven't made it easy in the past for people to enter these professions. And therefore, there is what I think an economist would call a huge supply side problem around an awful lot of these issues. But But the ones that we have, many of them 
decide to depart. Now, they'll all say, well, I can become a consultant much more quickly in North America or I can earn more money or I'll have an easier time. I'm not working, you know, 80 hour shifts every week. Uh, terms and conditions are much better in Australia. They'll say all that. They, they do. They do. And actually, it's a really good thing for a doctor to go abroad after he qualifies. It's a really good thing for a nurse to go abroad after they qualify. They learn more. They develop more. They grow more. And an awful lot of them do come back. An awful lot of them. Uh, the, the, the nurse who is married to David um, will come back because David won't find work in Australia. Um, there are those of us who do a whip around to enable David to go to Australia, but... Um, uh, they, they, it's getting too hot there. <laughs> it's probably too hot there. Um, but so, so I think the first issue is that there is a supply side problem. I think there's another huge issue in Ireland, which is what I call the issue of respect. Um, the, the frontline workers that I would be most familiar with are those in childcare, for example, um, those who work with the elderly, those who, you know, do home visits, etc., etc. We don't respect those professions. We don't regard them as professions. There are far too many people uh, in those areas of activity, fundamentally important areas of activity, who work for the minimum wage. It is almost impossible, for example, if you're a childcare worker, to raise a family on a childcare mm-hmm. worker salary, to pay a mortgage on a childcare worker salary, unless you own the business, it's very hard to make a decent living as a childcare worker. How very do you reprioritize then? How do you decide that? Although in the past we had plenty of people who wanted to do these jobs because there were no other jobs, uh, now there are alternatives. How do you shift the whole set of priorities in it, a society it, to say, we need ambulance drivers, we need firemen, we need guardy, we need teachers, we need nurses, we need doctors, we need speech therapists, we need people to work in the CAM service? Yeah. You start from the top, I think. Uh, we went through a period in Ireland, I think it was called the Celtic Tiger, where we really, really valued certain kinds of uh, jobs. They were all management jobs. They were all administrative jobs. They were all public service jobs at a certain kind of level. And you, you may remember things like benchmarking and so on, from which a lot of people benefited enormously, but an awful lot of people were left behind. We need to reimagine all that. I think we need to do a major and expensive benchmarking exercise around the caring professions. Um, yeah, but don't you know about the relativities that, you know, we decide we that need we to, do we need, need to... We front up to that. We have to front up to that. If, if it is the case that we're going to move somebody who works in a community crash in Ireland from subsistence wages to a living wage. We have to front up to the fact that we can't afford the people already doing quite well to get more as a consequence. Because teachers might say, you know, at primary school, um, you know, we have a relativity to these crash workers and we want to maintain that relativity. They they might say that and that has to be confronted. Now, the truth is that teachers were among the people who did really, really badly at one point. They're not doing too badly now. They mightn't agree with that. Guards are not doing too badly now. I think the issues in those professions are not so much pay <coughs> as the thing that David was talking about, pressure. And, and pressure goes hand in hand with lack of respect. So there is a reimagining that has to be done. There's also a huge management issue that has to be faced. Evelyn Mann is on the line listening to us. Evelyn, how do you think we should begin to address the problem, because the shortages, as we've said, are real. Yeah. Well, I think to go to look at the the medical profession first and those in hospitals, and I'm quite familiar because a lot of my nieces and uh, are, in fact, to work in those areas. And I think the one thing we've noticed extensively from recent research I looked at is that a lot of our doctors uh, are emigrating. 
and they're emigrating mostly to countries like Australia and Canada. Now, one of the big uh, advantages of those jobs there is the way the work is organised. And so doctors have repeatedly said that. You can work in Australia as a doctor and have a kind of a normal working day life with your recreation, your time off and all the rest of it. It's not the money issue. It's the organisation of work. Meantime, back at the ranch in Ireland, we are still having working conditions and rosters that are quite, I won't say medieval, but certainly are unfit for current day practices. Okay, now, Evelyn, just stop you there for a moment, because part of the reason there's so much pressure is a shortage of personnel. And, no, you know, the worse that shortage, gets. Yeah, but, but no, the worse it's not that, just yeah, shortage. I'm just saying it makes it's, it worse, though. The pressure becomes greater if you don't have the personnel to, to make life easier, then the job becomes even more unattractive. Well, that is true. But at the same time, if you talk and listen to doctors who are at work in Ireland, the one thing they will tell you is their workloads as compared with, America, with, with particularly Australian workloads. Now, what people need in these jobs, and admittedly there is a shortage, but there are also very extensive work commitments and time commitments in the training schemes here. There aren't certainly enough opportunities for training here. But people in those occupations need a kind of a balanced life. And it is interesting that teachers, we mentioned teachers, one of the advantages of teachers have accrued over time is reasonable salaries and, and much better conditions of work. An increasing number of doctors, both in work and in education, are women who, are, who have always wanted a certain balance to their working and lives. And in fact, medicine really is very, only very slowly adopting to them that they can job share, that they can stretch, you know, doing consultancy over time. So I think we need to, first of all, listen to what the needs of our current workforces are in terms of organization and management. And that varies a bit from hospital to hospital. And to try and re- you know, retain them here. I agree that people are coming from abroad to work in Ireland, as indeed the Irish did years ago, went to, you know, to work in the NHS in Britain and all the rest of it. But I think it, it does reflect that our conditions of work and rostering are poor. I mean, I myself, for instance, personally believe that hospitals should be seven-day week operations. And I That, we're told, the, is on the way. It's taken well, that, that's a lifetime to get of, there. Yeah, but it is it is beginning to see the needs spread over seven days rather than very traditional patterns where consultants relegated a lot of the work to their house officers and registrars and weren't available. We have to we have to change the way people work in terms of communities and teams and times. And we do have to listen to the to the workers themselves. I think we don't listen enough to what they want and what their demands are. So we're talking outside the concern group okay, just, and David? some hospitals and peoples have, have managed to actually yeah. change David? their work just, and organisation. Yeah, I was just saying there Evelyn I mean I presume if we go to a seven day a week type of, type of arrangement we're going to need even more staff and therefore coming back to Fergus's point we're going to need even more people in the supply line and we're having difficulty getting people into the supply but line. But that's true. I don't, think, I don't think the supply line particularly, we are producing doctors. We are producing doctors who emigrate. That's the first thing. So we have to retain those. We have to give them opportunities. And I must say there are some good developments happening at the moment, particularly in terms of the training schemes for consultants. There are not enough consultant training positions. They're very small. And in fact, many people have to emigrate to get them. There's no need for that. We should be able to train up our consultants here like other developed countries. We have 
have the, we've now, you know, the staff levels to do that and the senior staff. And one senior consultant who runs a good job can do an awful lot of good in organising work and teams in the organisation. So we have to look at how people work, I think, and not make a whole crisis. Yeah, but Fergus made the point about uh, a closed shop. For example, if you produce enough uh, specialists in a particular area so that there's a surfeit... Uh, no, but in, in the old days, in the old consultant contract, producing more people who operated in the private sector mean less gravy for the people who did corner the market. Um, now, the new consultant contract should change all of that to some extent. Well, it will in part, but you must remember, there's, you also have to remember, I, mean, I remember reading the first consultant uh, document that was released, and it was actually very interesting in its, how specific it was. And I thought the first draft I read, I think it said if I was a worker, you know, you wouldn't get that kind of very, I, I didn't like the tone of it, I must admit, but I, I won't de- you know, detract from that. It was very specific. And I think if you have experienced consultants who are working, certainly it's good that they work in the public sector. But you must remember there are only so many kidney transplants you could do, so they probably have to, to keep up their best practices. It is probably not a bad idea that they can work in the private sector as well. So we can't, I think we need to see how people work and also look at best practice models in some of the better hospitals and some of the better sections. And how they do the job, rather than talk outside the, the current day practices that make hospitals okay. work well or don't work now, well. Now, the focus in recent days has been on the shortage of Gardaí and, you know, the estimates, if you want to have the same personnel levels as 2013, there should be virtually 20,000 Gardaí now, not 14, which is the ambition. Some of the texts, ever since the downturn, Gardaí numbers are down. Their presence on the streets and in community policing in particular has diminished. There was a connection between the local Gardaí who concentrated on the areas of the inner city, knew almost every youth by name, could even recognise their walk or gait. This had several positives, including quick identification of a suspect and thereby offering a deterrent to uh, offending. These community guardi are now playing catch-up. The office work which accompanies every incident is compounding the lower number of guardi on the beat and these things are not going to change quickly. Another one, I, as a guard who's halfway through my career, our job is no longer appealing. I've been assaulted multiple times with no one having uh, been even interviewed or arrested, multiple unfounded complaints. Our wages are not commensurate with risk, but wages don't solve everything. Also, the public, to be frank, have become too demanding and expecting us to fix all problems, which we can't. We have a specific role and cleaning up every crisis is not it. Homelessness is not a policing issue yet. Throw the guards at it, etc. I hate to say uh, it's the public they say they miss not knowing their guards. Well, the guards, we no longer want to know the public. We have no support. We feel it every day. Also, the issues of pensions, etc. is a problem. Honestly, I'm only counting down my time till I can go. Uh, And that guard can't leave the name. Now, Fergus, I want to go to you on on this one because community policing really, ideally, should have a guard who lives close enough to the community. A guard living in Nace or Ratoth policing Dublin's inner city will never be a true community police person. I, I worked years ago with the community guard in an inner city community in Dublin who always said that the key thing for him was to have a place in the community where he could hang up his coat and put on, put on the kettle and have a cup of tea. That was the key requirement of community policing. Within that community now, there is a community guard really, really committed, really committed, young guard, um, and she's only available to the community on a kind of a half-time basis because her... 
The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.